Hello, it is Eric Erickson, <clears throat> live from my SUV with my wireless battery backup in honor of Earth Day. I figure I'll burn some gas and ride around making and try not to get carjacked. <laughs> Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. No, I'm not actually right. I did think about it. I've got the capability to be able to do that but decided that that it would give Charlie heartburn. And after making him listen to Don Lemon clips yesterday, I figured that would not be wise for my own sake to do. So here I am in my studio, uh, in my home, doing the program. I've got thoughts. I, I want to, I let the governor have his say yesterday. And I've got thoughts on the reopening of the state of Georgia. And they are, probably more nuanced than you're supposed to have as a conservative talk radio show host. But I do have some thoughts. And we should talk about those. Because I suspect you have thoughts too. At the bottom of this hour, Hogan Gidley is going to join me. He is the uh, Deputy Press Secretary of the White House. And I will take your phone calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me out of the gate here, though, push back on a developing left-wing conspiracy theory about the governor's order. Uh, there are people on the left who are saying very prominently, including on television right now, that the reason Governor Kemp is reopening the state of Georgia as he is is because he wants to stop paying unemployment benefits and that if a business can open uh, and does open, then they don't have to pay unemployment benefits. That's actually not true. The governor's office tells me they will have a confirmation of this later today uh, that the governor is not making businesses reopen. He is saying that if a business owner of a small business feels safe to reopen, they will be allowed to reopen without the government shutting them down. But your business does not have to reopen, and that will not impact unemployment benefits. And I want to be clear with that out of the gate. I want everyone to understand this. I want people to recognize that uh, the governor is not doing this because of unemployment benefits. It has nothing to do with that. That is what the conspiracy theorists are saying. I have spent the last several weeks pushing back on a bunch of conspiracy theories from the right, including another one that needs to be pushed back on today. And it's time to push back on the left-wing conspiracy theorists who are out to get the governor. I gave the governor his say yesterday. I wanted him to be able to explain his case. I want to be able to, I, I want to talk about it from my vantage point here. To talk about it, we need to begin with the letters R and T. This this is this not R-N-T, R and the letter T, R-T. R-T is something that does not get talked about a lot, but it is the measure of of a virus's ability to reproduce. R0 is how it's sometimes explained. RT, if it is above one, the virus will reproduce in society and depending on how many people one person can infect will grow exponentially. In this country, if the virus spreads at a rate of more than 35%, it begins to grow exponentially. And it did in Georgia. 
And the only way to stop the virus from spreading when it does that is to have people hunker down and shelter in place, which the governor in Georgia did. All of the experts, every expert everywhere has said, you have to get RT below one. If it's above one, it is going to spread. If it is below one, it is not going to spread. You must get RT, the rate of transmission, you must get it below one. If you get it below one, according to all of the experts, you can reopen your state. People do not have to shelter in place. There is a danger that if you get it below one and you reopen, that it will go back above one. But that is a danger with every virus. If you get it below one, it's not transmitting in the community and you can reopen the state. The virus in Georgia, the RT for the virus in Georgia, has been above one for the last several weeks. Two weeks ago, it hit one. Last week, it went below one. It is now at 0.6. The virus is not reproducing in the state of Georgia anymore. People have it, and there will be some people who are diagnosed with it who have had it, but there are not new people getting the virus in the state of Georgia. Let me give you the numbers of cases. On April 14th, there were 830 cases. On April 15th, there were 634 cases. On April 16th, there were 661 cases. On April 17th, 537, then 256, then 157. Then on April 20th, there were 96 cases. And yesterday, there were 23 cases. That number will go up today, the 23. The other numbers will largely hold steady. It is a remarkably good trend. On April 14th, there were 830 cases. On April 20th, there were 96 cases, new cases. That is a remarkably good trend, and it is because people sheltered in place. But I need to highlight something for you. Let me give you some different numbers. And this gets to where we need to go. And again, I, I may be making a case that is too nuanced for Twitter. I get that. But just bear with me here. On April 14th, there were 779 cases. That's been revised upwards to 830. On April 15th, there were 590 cases, revised up to 637. On April 16th, there were 506 cases, revised up to 661. On April 17th, there were 296 cases, revised up to 537. On April 18th, there were 106 cases, revised up to 256. On April 19th, there were 28 cases, revised up to 157. What on earth? There is still about a 24 to 48 hour turnaround time for most tests in Georgia. But for old tests, there's a lag. So, for example, I I got this question from a bunch of people yesterday. How can there be a 2000 case spike in the state of Georgia and the governor decide it's safe to reopen the state? What the heck? The reason is because tests that were taken April 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th are still in testing delay. The backlog was not resolved until about April 10th. So testing from the 14th and on has sped up. And if you get a test today, 
you'll get your results in about 24 hours. But there are some tests from the end of March and beginning of April that are just now coming back. So when those tests come back, even though the test was taken, and, and you do need to understand this, this will make you smarter than all the people on your on your street. You need to understand this, that a test taken April 1st may only come back today. And so that number is going to increase today. So we're over 20,000 cases now. We had a 2,000-person spike. But of those 2,000 people who, who spiked, 1,990 of them, actually, I shouldn't really say that. It's about 1,950 of them. 1,950 of them are from the first part of April, and their testing just came in. Those people are already cured. Those people have already healed up. They've gotten over the virus, but their test results only just came in. So the daily cumulative total in Georgia has spiked by 2,000 people. But of those 2,000 people, 1,950 of them, their test was at the beginning of the month. They're already over the virus, but the test result just came in. So we know the daily cumulative total has skyrocketed. The daily total number of cases reported has skyrocketed. But the actual results from the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st, have all been in decline. That's really, really important to understand here. That's why, although you're reading in the media that the number is skyrocketed in Georgia, the governor's telling you the cases are in decline because they're in decline. They actually are. The trend lines are good. The RT number, the rate of transmission, is below one. That means the virus is not spreading in the wild. In fact, the epidemiologists in the state will tell you that we know where the pockets are in the state, and they're in elder care facilities, nursing homes, retirement centers, um, uh, retirement centers for people with Alzheimer's, things like that. That's where the virus is spreading. It's not spreading in community. It's spreading in those places. Those places are locked down now. People aren't getting in and out other than the healthcare professionals. They're being monitored. So we're okay. The trend is good. But here's the problem. Can we all acknowledge that it is a problem that I, a person with an undergraduate degree and a law degree working on a PhD, had to call the Department of Public Health and ask the question, why is there a 2,000 person spike? That information should have been readily available to all of us. And it wasn't. And it's not the fault of the media. There's no media conspiracy here. The media is just reporting the data that the media had. And the data is, is it's hard to understand. But this is also why I think if I were governor, I would have waited a week or two before moving to reopen. You know, part of being a leader is leading and Brian Kemp is leading. But part of being a leader is having people follow your lead. And nobody's following his lead. The governor was worried about imposing a uh, imposing a harsh shelter in place rule, and and no one would follow it. People would disrespect the law, and that would get out of control. Uh, it, well, you know, the same thing is happening now that that he's allowing businesses to reopen, and no one's following his lead here. That they don't respect him in that regard. Uh, they don't think he's done it. The, the public is speaking on this, and. You need to understand, like I would tell campaigns, uh, I would tell candidates when I was a campaign manager, know when you're in the minority, even when you think you're right. Those of you who think the state is ready to reopen, you're actually in the minority. All of the, don't tell me the polling is wrong on this. It is, it is accurate, consistent polling that a majority of Georgians, regardless of political party, do not feel safe going back out in public business as usual. Now, that's actually not what the governor is doing, and, and understand that as well. And part of this is communication. Part of this is education. He's not actually saying go about your business as usual. 
He's allowing largely sole proprietors to reopen to keep their businesses going if they can do so with certain requirements. He's not making anybody reopen. You don't have to go outside tomorrow. In fact, the shelter-in-place order is still in effect until the end of the month. You don't have to go outside, and your business does not have to reopen. In fact, your business does not have to reopen, and it's not going to affect unemployment benefits for you and your company. But the way the governor, I think, did this on Monday, he should have spent a week or two talking to business leaders and local politicians and getting buy-in from them on this. And he very clearly didn't. In fact, a number of people who were on his reopening task force says they, they were surprised that he reopened because they never got talked to. There should have been better communication, I think, from the governor's office. What he's doing is backed by the data. I mean, for God's sakes, everybody's been saying, listen to the experts, listen to the experts. He's been listening to the experts. He didn't get new experts. He's got the same experts. And the experts who told him to shut down the state are now saying you can reopen with reasonable precaution. That's what he's doing. The problem is he did it before he explained it behind the scenes to people and got them to buy in. And if you're a leader, you do need to get buy-in from other people. You need to get buy-in from the public. Uh, the governor's saying it's open for business, and yet nobody's coming. Now, part of the problem here, if we're really honest about it, is that there's a bias against the governor and the national press. They resent him like hell because he beat Stacey Abrams. And white moderates in Atlanta who didn't vote for Barack Obama finally had a black candidate they could virtue signal by voting for and say, hey, we're really not the racist you thought we were. And she lost. So they're they're mad at Brian Kemp. He denied them their moment. There are a lot of people in Atlanta who they don't like the governor. They, they they don't think he's smart. They don't respect him. They drip with disdain for him. He's open, and they're like, oh, well, that guy's an idiot. Remember that shotgun ad? So you got a pre-existing bias against the governor. You combine that with the governor's team's failure to get buy-in behind the scenes and educate people and spend a week or two talking about the RT numbers and why they're good and what the trends are and why the data is showing big 2,000-person jumps, but that's not real, that's not current. I think they should have done this differently. They should have slowed down a little bit and done that part. But here's the thing. Ultimately, the data is with the governor on this. I wouldn't have done it if I were him. We're still under a shelter-in-place order until the end of the month. My family is under a shelter-in-place order until May 13th. We can't leave the house. But ultimately, the data is with the governor. RT is below one. That's when it's safe to reopen. The number of new cases in Georgia has dropped precipitously. Every day, it's gone down. In the last week, it's gone down. The trend lines show a two-week trend to do that. We're, we're keeping shelter-in-place until the end of the month. That'll give us two weeks of the trend line going down. It's good. The governor's doing what he needed to do. We should all wish the state well. We're going to have to chart a course forward with this virus. George is trying to find that. But man, if he's wrong and if this virus spikes, not only is he taking himself out in 2022, he's wiping out the Republican majority in the state. If he is wrong, the attack ads write themselves. If he's right, his critics will never admit it. But at least he's trying to listen to the experts and the data even if you wouldn't know that from the media. If you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Greg in Fayetteville waiting patiently. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Uh, Hi there. You you about got me kicked off <laughs> already because you hit on a couple buttons when I have with you on a couple on things. But all I'm right, go for it. To hit them all. But here's the big thing is, I think the governor is showing excellent leadership, one, 
He's take he's standing out there and he's he's getting out in front. Okay? Oh, he is. The and and here's the other thing too is he's being very 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 smart because he's doing things like, you know, he's opening small businesses, you know, like you said, sole proprietors. Well, and, and hang, hang on, Greg. Let, let me stop you there because we, we need to be clear in the terminology here for, for people who are upset about this. He's not opening them. He's telling them they have the right now to open if they think they right. should. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I and I under, okay, yeah. We'll yeah, because, you that. know, there, there are some liberals there, out there saying he's they, making they, these people go back to work, and he's not. No, he's not. And, and, and I've heard all the people on the news sitting there talking this stuff down. Yeah. But here's the thing. Okay. How many people are you, you know, I've heard him say bowling alleys, tattoo parlors, you know, operationally with a tattoo parlor or a hair salon or a nail place or a massage therapist, what's the difference in interaction? You know, it's one-on-one type interaction. Exactly. You know, it's, a, and it's easy to control. It's small. If mm-hmm. something does go wrong, they can, you know, they can react to it. A lot more easy, a lot easier than having uh, a warehouse rave down in the middle right. of Macon. You know. Yep, I agree. So, and yeah. Look, listen, and, I, I, I'm the data is with the governor. That's the bottom line. Uh, I, I, I yeah. would have taken probably another week and and spent a lot of time making phone calls and doing many more press conferences this week to explain the data. But you're right. Bottom line is the governor's well, gonna, leading. I'm, Go ahead. I'm you can disagree, disagree with me with you on that point. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you on that point because. If you listen to the stuff, you know, listen to the nightly briefing when people were, were being, you know, I watch Fox because I believe yeah. Fox more than CNN. Oh, hell, I mean, basically, right. I disregard CNN. I've, I, there's history there. So, bottom line is, is that I kept hearing the same set of questions and I kept hearing the same from, especially like Dr. Burks. There was a guy from John Hopkins. They had the same reaction. They don't want anybody to get out ahead of the pack. I think he was being in a case where if he didn't push out, he would get pulled back. He would be held back, not held back. I think that's what would have happened if he sit there because you already see that. And I don't, and I don't know about the other mayors that were talking against this, but he wasn't talking. And he was very clear about Albany was a special case they had Mm -hmm. to deal with. He was, you know, but then you've got the Savannah mayor going, I don't know. And you got, Keisha Lance Bottom saying, I don't know. So I'm guessing that she's planning to run for governor. Uh, well, know, no. Just, so it, I, I I think just given the anomalies in, in Darty County in particular, but also that there is a there are there is a hot spot in Fulton County. I, I get their concern. But you're right. I mean, the governor's leading. And frankly, if he's successful in this and we don't see a huge spike in cases, he's put Georgia at an economic competitive advantage ahead of every other state. Um, which you and know, that's is good. one of the problems. That's one of the problems that places like New York and stuff don't right. want anybody else getting out ahead of them. Yeah, because hey, they hey, don't hey, want any. No, listen. Hey, I, got, well, I I just looked at the clock. I got a hard break. I got to let you go there. Okay. But thank you for that. I appreciate it very much. Um, and you're right. And, and listen, Colorado's opening for business. Where's the media outrage over this? It's interesting that they're attacking the governor for reopening nail salons, barbers, um, and other. if you actually read the order, he's not actually allowing them to open for business as usual, and that's completely been missed by the press. When we come back, White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley is going to join me. 
waiting on Hogan Gidley, the Deputy White House Press Secretary, to join us. Uh, welcome back to the program, by the way, I guess I should say. Um, and uh, those of you who are on hold, you're, I was going to jump to phone calls while we waited, uh, but uh, I can tell that we're about to get this phone call and want to be able to have this conversation. So just be patient with me, folks. Be patient with me. Uh, we will get there. Um, but there's a lot going on in Washington. You heard the press conference yesterday. The, the president clearly wants to chart a, a forward path. And again, he's leaning on all the experts. It, it, what, what, what is baffling to me is how many people are attacking the president, saying he's not listening to the experts, and yet the experts are on stage at the White House press conference every day, and the president's following their advice. Um, it, it, and it's very selective how they, they want to quote Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks. Uh, they only want to quote those times where they can they can juxtapose them about things the president said, and they completely ignore how often they actually say the president has listened to them. Um, now, speaking of all that, joining me from the White House, Deputy White House Press Secretary Hogan Gidley, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I'm I'm well now. It, just before you got on, I, I was noting this remarkable phenomenon, and, and I've enjoyed playing these little clips over the last couple of weeks of of the media seems willfully uh, at this point to be using Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci to to question the president, and then completely ignore the copious times that they say the president's listening to their advice, doing what they say, they're headed in the right direction. Uh, it's almost like they're trying to manufacture drama where there isn't any. <laughs> well. You've you've absolutely um, hit hit on something that that's correct. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious as to what they're doing. And anytime they have a conversation with the American people, Dr. Birch and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield all get up there and say, "We think testing is in a good place. We think it's time to begin this phase." Uh, one, two, three process moving forward. We're going to leave it up to states. Here's the data. Here's the information. And then all of a sudden, they don't like Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci (laughs) and Dr. Redfield. It it, it only goes to suit their narrative. Look, uh, I'll give you two more quick examples. One is the president has mentioned many times before he's hearing anecdotal evidence of uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, Obviously, consult with your doctor, but I'm hearing good things. Hope it works out. If you're, you're on death's door, Talk to your doctor. Maybe it's something you could use. And we had a couple of people at the White House who actually um, you know, received treatment and are alive today, they say, because of that drug. And they're saying, well, the president's not a doctor. How dare he say these types of things? He's killing people. And then Chris Cuomo goes on TV and says, you know what? we got a lot of hydro- hydroxychloroquine over here in New York. We're going to let people take it. Looks like it's working in some cases. They're like, brilliant. Very innovative. Right. We yes. love what he's doing, right? You know, hey, guys, I think that it's time to look to reopen the country. Livelihoods, you know, people need to get back to work and provide for their families and jumpstart this economy. How dare the president do these types of things? We, we need to stay shut down for five and a half years. And then Cuomo comes out and says, hey, by the way, I'm working with some regional governors to look at how we can begin to reopen. Brilliant. Very smart strategy. I love what you're doing. You have just hit the nail on the head, Eric. It is not just a double standard. It's a desire to drive a narrative that hurts the president. And when he says one more example, when he says we've done more testing than anybody in the world, over four and a half million tests, they say that's false because per capita we haven't. Well, now, he didn't say anything about per capita. You just added that in there to try and make the statement false. And and by the way, in the hot spots per capita, we have done more than other countries. But it doesn't matter. Their desire to write the negative narrative is always there. It doesn't matter who is saying it. If they're staying next to the president, they want to tear the person down. Well, and it, it just go to the per capita point. CNN and, and, and other news networks are loving to, to quote the fact that we have more 
uh, coronavirus cases in the United States than anywhere else. But by the way, per capita, we don't. And yeah, they right. keep using per capita, except when it comes to that. It's selective use of the of the of the term per capita because <laughs> it only goes to suit their narrative. And they say we have the most deaths in the world, but per capita, I don't think we're in the top twenty. We're not even close. Right. But that doesn't suit what they want to say, which is that this president is, is is awful in some in some manner. So I think it's pretty obvious the reason that they're. Their own their own uh, popularity sits somewhere between smallpox and the plague. It's because um, they can't tell the truth to the American people because the 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 people now with these briefings the president's doing for hours at a time is exposing a lot of that bias, is exposing a lot of that narrative, and people see through that. Yeah, they do. Now, now listen, you, you weren't actually here for to, to help me go on my my continued tirade against the media. Uh, we're here for other things, in, including we've got this plan now in place with the phases uh, for people to begin reopening slowly the country. And where is the White House on this? And 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 what's what's the coordination at the state level to be able to move this forward? Well, look, we've had calls with governors every week uh, trying to track where they are in the process and where we are. And any time they have expressed uh, a need, we have filled that need. Now, I want to be careful here because a lot of governors want a lot of things. What the federal government has done is said, okay, we know what you want, but what do you need in the sense that as this began to spread across the country and there were hot spots jumping up, a lot of the governors we asked, why do you want hundreds of ventilators when you don't have a case in your entire state or there's not one within you know, 500 <laughs> miles? Well, we want it because we want our people to be secure. No, I get that. We want them to be secure too, but there's a need right now in another part of the country. And even within those needed areas that actually need stuff, when you begin to drill down and say, well, ventilators, for example, was a hot topic for a while till we fixed it. You know, PPE was a hot topic for a while till we fixed it. It doesn't matter what it is. The, the, the media are always going to move the goalpost. But some of the governors said, look, we really need a lot of ventilators. Okay, well, how many do you have in your state? They didn't know. And they already had hundreds at other facilities they didn't know about. So what we did, which is uncharacteristic of the federal government, as you well know, Eric, we didn't say we're just going to throw a lot of money at it. We didn't say we're just going to throw a lot of ventilators at it. We did it in a strategic manner because this president is a businessman. And he said, how can we make sure that every single person in this country who needs a ventilator gets a ventilator? So we set up a system in which – you could take ventilators from a part of the country that didn't have cases and move it to one ones that did with the promise that when we produce all these ventilators that we're doing right now, they backfill back into those other states that could see, see a spike later. And if they don't, we'll put them in the stockpile. Those states can get you know what they, they get back what they gave. I mean, the innovation of a president like this who understands how business works, bringing in the public private partnerships to ship in uh uh, you know, supplies and PPE from other countries in the air, air bridge program is completely innovative. And we did that because government is not set up to move this way. It's not set up to protect people like we have just done. So the president has been just historic. He's been bold. He's been decisive. And thankfully, we believe a lot of this uh, spread has been mitigated to this point. It definitely looks like that. I mean, the, the data is very encouraging across the country right now with very few states now above the, the, the one line for the, the transmission rate, which is great. Now, uh, regarding that, though, as we're looking to getting people back to work, we've got this PPP program where the Democrats seem to have held it up as long as they could, finally had a head of steam to get it out. Uh, what's the status on that and what should we expect moving forward? 
Well, it looks like the president wants to sign it as soon as possible. Uh, we'll see. Wait to see uh, when when, when it'll, it'll come across his desk. I mean, look, the Democrats shamelessly held up the last package um, that dealt solely with coronavirus so they could add in all types of crazy, radical, left-wing buffet (laughs) agenda items, um, which was just disgusting. And while Nancy Pelosi loves to dine on ice cream and, you know, dark chocolate from her, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of refrigerators, the rest of the country need this money immediately. And, um, you know, when the government basically shuts businesses down, you know, you have to backfill that with capital so that they can stay open and they can keep employees on the payroll. And that's why the president was smart to actually add those safeguards in there, that we're not just going to give businesses money to give it to them. They need to make sure that they keep um, their employees employed. They keep paying their employees during this crisis. And it's more than just an economic message or an economic thought, Eric. This is about real people who are suffering through really difficult times. And it's about making sure your families have food on the table, It's about making sure that you can provide for those around you. Uh, Americans, just by our genetic makeup, as you know, our our creator made us to be social creatures, to be around other people, to talk with our friends and our family and, and, and hang out with them. This has stopped all of that. And so there is a big, um, uh, ramification of this virus more than just quote unquote, the large economy. It has to do with people individually in having that innate desire to work and provide and be with friends and family. And so all the data is moving in a direction in which governors have that decision and they they can follow some of the guidelines we put out and take a look and see what's best in their areas. But this is such a big undertaking. And the president really appreciates the American spirit and the people out there who listened to, to following the guidelines and allowed us to get to this point where now states can begin to look at reopening. And that's an important milestone in this unprecedented crisis. Now, let me ask you before you get out of here, because you got South Carolina and Georgia and Colorado and Florida looking at reopening parts of their economy slowly. Uh, I I think it's notable there hasn't been a lot of criticism by the media of Colorado for doing largely what Georgia and South Carolina are doing. Uh, and, and was wondering, what is the, the feedback within the White House right now on, on these states that are trying to reopen? Well, that's my state in South Carolina and your state in Georgia. That's why um, I raised them. That's exactly right. And, you know, look, I saw the media outrage of like, you know, some of the beaches in Florida opening up and things like that. South Carolina, I think, and Georgia are going to do something similar. It's not like people are opening up beaches and sitting on everyone sitting on each other's laps. It looks like from the video, they're still far spread apart. They're still doing the guidelines that keep people from getting infected. The, the, the hygiene methods, of course, of washing your hands and, and other things. Very important to understand. No one's saying you should just open as 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 it was before, and and just the floodgates are, are are wide. It is about making sure that we do this in a sensible, responsible manner. And you know, the governors of, of those states have those choices to make. Um, you know, they face electorates just like a White House does, and they know best what's what's good for their communities for their for their states and locales and so we put the onus on the governors that you know you you guys say you know you you know what's going on there we believe you we trust you and we're going to work with you if if something happens we want to be a backstop we want to help out but you know in, in large part 
you know, someone's got to be first to take a look around and say, all right, I think everyone's in a place in which we can begin to start to move into phase one and, and open uh, certain areas so that people can get out there and start living their lives again and producing again for this country. Um, you know, that, that's up to that's up to the states of Georgia and South Carolina. And it looks like they're moving in that direction. And and uh, we hope they follow the guidelines and, and we'll be there to work with them every step of the way. Hogan, listen, uh, thank you for being gracious with your time this morning. I, I appreciate it tremendously, and best of luck to you guys. I, I know it's not an easy situation up there, particularly dealing with the people who want you to screw up so they have more headlines. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've, I've been pitching a couple of stories about businesses being successful. I haven't even said this publicly, so you're getting a little exclusive here, about some of the businesses that have been helped out by the PPP and how they've been able to remain open and keep people employed. I've heard this from half a dozen reporters. Uh it's it's not really newsworthy. And I was like, newsworthy? Wow. People get to stay open, and they say, yeah, but there's no conflict. Like, I need some failing businesses to write about. And I said, well, you do that every day. I'm trying to give you a story <laughs> in which there are some successes across this country, you know, with the, the uh, you know, 14 years' worth of loans being put out in, four, in less than 14 days. And they're like, nah, I think we're going to pass. I mean, it's just it's – an, it's, it's embarrassing. But, okay. You know, now, so now, hang on one second. Life. Now, now I've got to hold you over here for just a second. So, f how many years worth of loans going out in fourteen days? It's uh, about fourteen years worth of loans going out in less than fourteen days. Wow, that's a lot of money. That's right. I mean, it's it's a lot of money, and, and they're moving heaven and earth to do it. And that's what's so impressive here. You know, and, you know, we want to send it directly to the people, whereas a lot of the people in Congress want to send it to the states. And we understand states do better with that. I get that. But we also didn't want le another level of bureaucracy. Let's get it right into the bank accounts so the people can use it immediately, so those small businesses can keep those folks employed. And that's what this has all been about. I mean, there are, what, 5,000 authorized lenders so far that have that have um, that have done some of these loans, eighteen hundred financial institutions were all authorized to make these PPP loans. I mean, they've been going out um, uh, rapid fire for the American people because that's what this is about: is making sure that in this time they have some some help and some assistance, so that when we begin to reopen, uh, they're on some some better footing than they would have been without it. Well, look, thank you very much for this. Uh, we're out of time, but thank you. I uh, appreciate you stopping by, and that is really helpful, useful information. Best of luck to y'all. Sure, Eric, anytime. Thanks. Absolutely. Hogan Gidley, Deputy White House Press Secretary. That, that is the perfect segue, by the way, for me to point out. Uh, First Liberty of Georgia is one of the sponsors of the program, and they're doing the PPP loans. If you need a PPP loan, the Payroll Protection Program loan, go to firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty of Georgia, they're here in Georgia. It doesn't matter where you're listening nationwide. First Liberty can help you. Whether you're in California, Alaska, Hawaii, Florida, it doesn't matter. First Liberty can help you. And because they're small, they make their own lending decisions so they can tend to process faster and at least get you into the program. Even if the program is maxed out again, go on and get your application in because they're already talking about the next round of PPP. So firstlibertyga.com, thanks for their sponsorship of the program. Great company, uh, great local Georgia business, and they're willing to help. And thanks to Hogan for stopping by. All right. Yes, you can call in 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It is time to go to Tom, who has waited very patiently in Gainesville. Tom, thanks for being patient with me. Oh, not a problem. You can't even get through to some of the other shows. So <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> anyway, really appreciate what you're doing today on the stats and on your Excellent call screener said um, that you'd gone over it a little bit earlier, but um, and even yesterday, some on these statistics. So I want to know a couple things. Number one is um, 
Did you say that the date that's recorded for the for the new case is the date that the test was confirmed, not the date that they actually took the sample that the patient showed up to give no, the no, no, no. sample okay, so to do? What happens is you you take the test on April first, and the result comes back on April twentieth, and it's positive. On April 20th, when they report the daily new confirmed cases in Georgia, it's going to go up by one. But the state itself is going to apply it to April 1st, not to April 20th. So if you follow along the daily chart that they prescribe, you can see this dip. And what you'll see is that on April 1, it jumped by one. But on the daily reported count on April 20th, it jumped by one. It's kind of confusing that they issue the daily total of confirmed cases in Georgia, and it's not broken out by day. If they broke them out by day, you could see you, they'd actually be able to go back and say, well, we had one more case on April 1st than we thought. Instead, they're lumping them all together. So you have a 2,000 person jump overnight, and 1,950 of those cases are actually from the end of March, beginning of April, not actually from last week. Okay. So where do we get the real data? And then I have, and then I have two websites. I'm looking at the, um, the Georgia Department of Public Health, which you get for, by going to the CDC, click on the map, and you go to Georgia. And I'm uh-huh. looking at that number right now, uh, or that graph. And um, but the numbers there are much less than what's reported on the IHME or IMHE site. I mean, I, I can't I can't find one day on the Georgia Department of Public Health site that has numbers anywhere close to as high as are reported on this. Uh, website that's put out by, okay you know. yes um so, so what's, going here's, what's going on is that uh, the ihme is taking the daily data dump and they're putting them together and they're not actually separating them out by individual day so you have a 2000 person jump in georgia yesterday and those 2,000 people, actually most of them were tested March and April and the backlog is coming undone. Well, IHME is listing those as, as new cases and it's actually the state is separating them out um, by the date. So the data looks different. The, the data, those are still confirmed cases in Georgia. It's just they're not being applied backwards to the appropriate dates. And in fairness to IHME and to the CDC, Georgia is actually doing a very bad job of, of explaining that and giving the breakdown. It has a it is a fault of the state's transmission of data. It's not a fault of the receipt of data. Uh, and this is not a Dr. Toomey problem. This is an ongoing multi-decade problem with the state of Georgia that's just never been fixed. Their computer systems are so old. Uh, I will tell you, Tommy, if you want to get the most accurate up-to-date data, I just set this up while you and I were talking. Uh, if you text the word data to 33777, all you're going to get back is a link to the Department of Public Health site. Uh, in fact, I'm going to do it with you right now, just so you know uh, that I'm on the up and up. So the number is 33777, and then you send the word data, D-A-T-A, and you'll get a link back, and the link will say, here's the Georgia DPH data. You click it. It goes directly to the Department of Public Health uh, website, uh, Georgia Department of Public Health COVID-19 Daily Status Report. You scroll down, and you will see, for example, There are 20,166 confirmed cases in Georgia, 3,885 people hospitalized, 818 dead. You will see the total number of cases per county, the total number of deaths per county. If you keep scrolling down, you'll see the total number of lab results. 
And then underneath that is the daily confirmed COVID-19 cases, February 1st to April 21st. And this is where it differs. They they take all of that data, so 20,000 cases, and they break it up by the day of the test. So, for example, you scroll through April 13th, you'll see 814 people tested positive on April 13th. And that is they took the test that day. The sample may have not come back until April 20th. But because it was taken on April 13th, they apply it to April 13th. So 814 people. That number yesterday was actually below below 800. It's gone up because the test results came back. The backlog has been cleared out. But here's the thing. If you look on that chart, the data drops precipitously every single day. There's a big spike to the 14th, and then it goes down, 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 down. And to yesterday is 23 people. If you go further, you can see the number of deaths per day as well. Uh, And so that data shapes the information. That data shapes everything we're seeing. And you can also see from that how the media hasn't been very good at explaining the dates and why the state says it's not as bad as what you're hearing in the media. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes, they're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, The brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery power toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener. And I'm not. I'm just using my Quip twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had, and I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get, G-E-T, QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877 97 Eric, 877 973 7425. That's it. You can call in and be a part of the program. In fact, I'm going to start this hour with a phone call before I get into everything else because uh, this goes where I would like to go. And I'm going to go to McDonough and Don. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Great. How about Hope yourself? Doing well, doing well. Just surviving this uh, hunkering down, as the uh, governor calls it. Who uh, knew sitting on my, your couch could be such a pain in the butt? 
I agree. Or on your back deck, enjoying this glorious sunshine and the pollen. Amen. The, yeah. Uh, my uh, my leftist leaning neighbors have been posting on the neighborhood blog because, of course, we're not allowed to have our uh, neighborhood meetings. Um, <laughs> but uh, have been posting on their neighborhood blog that uh, the pollution's down, the ozone's going to be saved, the polar bears and the ice caps are going to be wonderful because of all of this uh, isolation and economic uh, uh, suppression that we're performing currently. And uh, they're just happy as clams. Now, these are the same limousine liberals that will uh, 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 rent a uh, uh, expedition to go on their family vacation and uh, drive all over uh, God's green earth and uh, then come back and uh, wash their uh, car in the driveway and let the oil slick run all the way down the driveway when they're done so that they can turn in the nice, clean rental expedition. Um, yeah, but yeah, now, Don, but Don, you've, you've got to understand that they actually mean well, unlike you and me. Well, that's true. That's true. And the, and uh, reminds me of my days when I was a, a young uh, undergrad and then graduate student down at Emory, this little Methodist college in town, uh, where we would go to these uh, Save the Earth rallies uh, during the Clinton era. And then the trash was so god awful in the uh, squares <laughs> after we um, celebrated uh, uh, saving the planet. And uh, they just couldn't seem to find, with all that uh, uh, higher-priced uh, education, these kids just couldn't seem to find a recycling uh, blue, blue can to uh, throw their garbage in after the rally. So uh, the poor uh, uh, grounds crew at Emory had to clean everything up afterwards. It's yeah, but they, they felt guilty, unlike you, when, when they threw the trash out. And when you put your trash in the trash can, you, you didn't think anything about it. They actually felt guilty when they threw it on the ground. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, back listen. in the day, I was back in the day, I was dumb enough to reach into a, a garbage can and uh, pull an aluminum can out and put it in the uh, uh, blue container, recycling container next to it. You know, <laughs> despite despite all the uh, Georgia Tech yellow jackets that would sting me while I was doing it. <laughs> you know, there actually is. A, listen, I, I appreciate the, the phone call and the sentiment there. There actually is a point here, which is why I want to go to Don out of the gate. Uh, there are a number of articles out today that, you know, this sheltering in place thing, it's good for the economy. Time for Green New Deal. It looks like it's working. Uh, if we can pay everyone a universal basic income and they stay home and don't work, it'll be good for the environment. You know, uh, so not to get into the theolo theological aspect of all of this. But it goes to what uh, Hogan Gidley, the White House Deputy Press Secretary, joined me in the first hour, and he said, you know, we're, we're created in the image of God, and, and we're meant to be uh, social people in a community. It's true. And, you know, if you, if, you want to fight, if you want a sense of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, look at Genesis 1 and 2. Because there God was with man, and it was the perfect, perfect environment. And they had to work. There was a job in Eden. Tend the garden. God put man in charge of the planet to be good stewards. We have an environmental obligation because we're to be good stewards of the planet. Uh, steward, environmental stewardship is compatible with faith. Um, we should not be out there recklessly polluting uh, because we are supposed to tend to the garden. You pour poison in the garden, you kill the garden. We, we got an obligation there. But let's also keep in mind that, that we are the highest and best uh, of creation. 
you know, every day God creates the plants, he creates the animals, he separates the waters, he creates the sun, the, the moon. He says, it's all good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Then he creates mankind. And scripture says that was very good for created in his image and likeness. But part of that is, is we're, we're communal. Man, man's not supposed to be alone and we're supposed to work. Work gives us purpose. And this idea, you know, there were, Finland is a country that tried the universal basic income and they gave it up. Not enough people actually wanted it. And those who did want it, it, it went badly for them because they decided that that's all they needed. They sat home and got lazy, but most people wouldn't even do it. They wanted to go to work. I get great fulfillment from coming in here every day. You know, today is the 22nd Monday in April. Every day has been Monday. Every day is exactly the same. Every day is like, I, I keep thinking maybe I need to sit in the bathtub with the toaster and throw it in and I'll just wake up tomorrow and do it all over again like Groundhog Day. Uh, don't try that. Kids, don't try that at home, actually. But you get the point. Every day is a recycling of the day before. I get up, I come in here, do the sound check with Jim, do the show. At noon, we do the, I don't know, what do you want for lunch? I don't know, what do you want for lunch? We do that for an hour. We finally get fed. I come back in here at 4 o'clock. I do it all over again till the president's press conference starts or 6 o'clock comes. And then I go out. We spend an hour. What do you want for supper? I don't know, what do you want for supper? Eventually, we figure out what we're going to have for supper. We eat. We go to bed. Do it all over again. On Saturday and Sunday, because we're in a shelter in place and and, and, uh, my wife can't go out on Saturday, I get to sleep in a little bit and then I get up. And I got to go do the grocery shopping. We got to form the grocery. What do you want for the week? I don't know. What do you want for the week? What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? We do that for a while. And then I go to the grocery store and I tend to have to go to three different grocery stores now. And then I come home and I unload the groceries and realize what all we forgot. And then I have to go back on Sunday to the grocery store. And then I cook and I clean up or my wife cleans up and then we go to bed and I do it all over again. Uh, no rest for the weary, no break. Um, it, it, there, There is no break. And everybody else is doing the same thing. But you know what? I get up before the sun comes up on Monday through Friday. And I am excited to get behind this microphone. It is fun to me. I have purpose and value in my work. I love it. And most of you do too. There are people who are miserable in their jobs and they don't find a way out. And oftentimes it's because economically, financially, they don't see how they can pivot from one job to to the next. And I get that. And right now, there are a lot of people who can't work, who are unemployed. And that's terrible. And our job should be to find them jobs, to get back to jobs. You know, it, it's interesting here. Let me play this audio for you from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on, on this whole situation. It is happening in the context of Congress having gone on recess for a month. We are going to pass a small potatoes bill, and then we are talking about recessing again until May 4th. And if we are going to bring every member or call back almost every member who can back to D.C., to pass a small incremental bill and with the knowledge that we are not coming back until next month again, that's two rent checks. And the last time we left, again, we lost over one 9-11s worth of people due to this lack of, of, um, of action. We, wait, 
due to lack of action, we lost what more than a nine elevens worth of people due to lack. You know, there's I, I I don't know of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I realize she's only been in Congress since uh, January 2019, but I, I and I don't know if she realized this, but they're not doctors. Congress does not save lives. And yet she's the same one pushing the Green New Deal. She wants a Green New Deal that would keep people at home. But hey, in the spirit of never letting the crisis go to waste, yeah, I bet you'll recognize this guy's voice. The reality is that dealing with climate change is, in fact, the future of our economy. We saw our our economy, we had to shut it down to deal with coronavirus. Now we need to reinvent it in order, Mm. the economy, in order to deal with the climate. And the reinventing will produce more jobs, better jobs. People will get enormously wealthy from certain technologies and other things we need to do. I think there is a great economic future staring us in the face, but not if we just go back and repeat old mistakes and and reharness uh, everything the way it was. So we're, the left now wants to use this crisis to reset the economy and focus on climate change. It makes you wonder if some of the angst an aggravation about Brian Kemp kickstarting the economy has something to do with the fact that they're not ready for people to go back to work because they haven't plotted out how to change the economy yet. Have you thought about that? Maybe, maybe there's something to that. Maybe they aren't ready for people to go back to work yet. Because if people go back to work now, they don't have a chance yet to reboot the economy in the way they see fit, and they're not going to be able to put plans in place to do that. You know they want a fourth and a fifth stimulus plan. How much you want to bet in their fourth and fifth stimulus plan, they want to put in place legislation that will steer the economy. You, You can reopen your business but it needs to be carbon neutral when you go back. You can't open until it happens. It makes you wonder. Now, that that I, I suspect that's a minority opinion on the left. You know, th- there's this thing. I love the term nut picking, nut picking. It is finding the nut who says the crazy thing and applying that to one side. It, it's what the left does all the time. You, ha- you have some crazy person on the right out there who says something stupid, like Pat Robertson says that, that God sent the hurricane to kill all the pagans. Oh, this is what the right believes. No, it's nut picking. You're, you're, you're Pat Robertson's crazy old dude who should shut up, and they pick on him, and, and they grab his statements and apply it to the whole right. On the left, you have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out there saying, basically, we need to give up meat and everyone needs to become vegan and use one sheet of toilet paper to wipe their butts. And everybody on the right says, hey, this is what they want. And and we got to be careful here not to nutpick. But we can also say that given you got John Kerry out there, you got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out there, uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, the major leaders of the Democratic Party, there is something to this idea that they want to slow roll the reopening of the economy so they can put regulations and burdens in place on businesses so that you cannot reopen 
unless you have complied with their Green New Deal mandates. And by the way, Brian Kemp has had the audacity to jump the gun and we can't have that. Boy, I'm just not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure about anybody on any side. And, and you know, I, I, I say this as a Christian evangelical conservative who was an elected Republican. I just don't know that it speaks well of any of us. If we come through a crisis and everything we thought before the crisis is exactly what we think after the crisis. I don't think that things, that speaks well of any of us. And the reason is because historically, in war and crisis, a lot of your presumptions going into a crisis are shaken and disproven by the crisis. And all of us should have things in this crisis that we confront and make us realize, you know, I... I I thought this, but I realized, nah, maybe that wasn't the best idea. And I'll give you one of mine because you're probably wondering, what, what is your example? You know, I'm I'm very libertarian and free trade when it comes to this sort of stuff. And I don't think the government should be doing big bailouts. I don't think the government needs to be running up deficits. I think the debt matters. And yet, at this point, I think, you know, if the government wasn't floating money to these small businesses to meet their payroll, we would be in way more, way worse shape. The debt and deficit does matter, yes, but it doesn't matter as much as that. I've had to rethink some of these things too. Everyone else has had to rethink stuff. And, and I, I'm always amazed at the people who haven't felt the need to rethink anything, that everything they thought going into this is exactly on the other side. You will never talk to a real leader who has gone through a crisis, who comes out of the crisis having never changed his mind on anything else. The facts as presented by the crisis should make you change your mind on things. And that there are those who, for example, here, here's another one. The number of people who thought going into this shelter in place was no big deal. This was overblown. We shouldn't do this. More people have died in New York City now than died now, all of last year, the flu, in, in the last week. More people in New York now have the coronavirus than had the flu last year. That's good news to some degree, and then it means that the virus is more widespread. But also the death toll is crazy in New York that more people have died in a week from coronavirus than died from the flu last year should tell all these people who went into it saying it's no big deal that actually it is. The fact that we all sheltered in place for a month and are only just now turning the corner should suggest this is a big deal. But for a lot of people, they can't shake themselves of the idea that this is no big deal. And that actually speaks poorly of them, frankly. And that's a lot of you, and I don't mean to insult you. But if you're not paying attention, if you're not talking to the ER doctors, if you're not paying attention to what's happened in the last month with this virus, you're you're allowing, you're you're refusing to allow the idea that the data and the facts on the ground should influence your way of thinking and, and should at least comport into your presuppositions. And a lot of people aren't doing that on either side. The left thought ahead of time that we needed a Green New Deal, and by God, they're even more convinced of it now. Pay no attention to the economic disaster of staying at home. All right. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Back to this phone. Scott in Noonan, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? Good. How are you? 
I'm doing well, thank you. Hey, I I um, was reading your email today uh, regarding the uh, data doubt and decision, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious where the numbers are coming from. I, I understand that we're behind on the test results, and that's why we're seeing larger numbers today, but um, you're showing a great drop in the last few days. And I'm just wondering where those figures are coming from. Uh, I, you know, I will make it as easy for you as I can, Scott. Uh, if you, if you text the word data to three, three, seven, 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 I, after we get off the phone, I will send you back and I've got it automated. So it's not actually me here sending the text. I actually had somebody, okay. and, and by the way, Scott, I'm not laughing at you with that. I actually had somebody yesterday actually email and want to know how was I able to be texting people while I was talking on the radio. And it's like, uh, it's an automated system I set up, but if you text data to three, three, seven, 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 uh, what you will get back is a link to the department of public health. And it is that website from which I'm getting the data. You got to be careful though. And this is why it's so confusing and why I wish they'd redesigned the stupid site. Uh, when you go to that site, what you will see is the daily count. First, you'll see a map that shows you the spread. It's kind of like a right. map. Yeah, and then it I'm shows there. you the number I, I of cases. I look at that daily. Yeah, so if you go down beneath all the charts with the numbers, you'll the very first uh, bar graph you get is the daily confirmed cases by date. And if you highlight each bar, it shows you per day uh, what the cases are. So like right now, April 16th, there were 661 cases that day. You move over to April 19th, there were 157. Go over to April 21st, there are 23 cases on April 21st. So you can see that decline there in the graph. But it is a terrible, terribly designed website. Uh, And I actually did not know until the end of last week that if I put my cursor on one of those bars on the chart, it would actually show me the daily total. It's just, it's horrible. And and so I agree with that. Uh, so does this mean we're caught up on the testing and now we're getting actual live results? Uh, so yes and no. There is still a bad, the, the reason we're seeing the big daily jump in numbers is because there are still tests that were backlogged at the beginning of the month and they're only now coming in. So you're charting a big daily jump in total cases reported. But a lot of those numbers actually are from the beginning of the month and not the end of the month. So if you look at that bar graph, what you'll see is on a daily basis that those numbers change per day. The trend line is still down. Um, but the problem is I actually had to call the Department of Public Health and get this explanation uh, that the if you go in today and get a test, you'll get the results within 24 to 48 hours, if not sooner. But there's still test results from the beginning of the month that haven't come back yet. And they don't want to take those from the labs that have them and then send them to a lab where they could get tested today because it increases the risk of damage or loss of the sample. So they're keeping them at the labs where they already are. And they're as soon as they get the results, they're reporting them. And the funny thing is actually talking to this person at DPH, I got to let you go there too, Scott, because we're out of time. Thank you. But the funny thing talking to the DPH person is even they pointed out that most of the people are already healed. So they're getting their test results saying you were positive for COVID-19 back on March 28th. Well, guess what? They don't have it anymore. Uh, But thanks for telling us. That's the problem we're dealing with in all of this. Text data to 33777. You can see it all for yourself. You know, back on the point where I started the opening of the show uh, this hour, (laughs) there's actually, hang on, let me, let me, let me read for you the, the, the tweet. Uh, just so you you have it, uh, this is from an environmental activist. Uh, his name is Eric Holthouse. 
He's circulating a tweet, um, the coronavirus pandemic. This is from CBC, uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. The coronavirus pandemic is expected to drive down carbon dioxide emissions by 6% this year. The world meteorologist, <laughs> sorry, I'm half Swedish, half Cajun. It's hard to talk. By 6% this year, the World Meteorological Association says, organization says, it would be the biggest annual drop since World War II. And so this this, uh, climate reporter, self-described eco-socialist, says this is roughly the same pace the IPCC says we need to sustain every year until 2030 to be on pace to limit global warming to 1.3 centigrade and hit the Paris climate goals. This is what rapid, far-reaching, and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society looks like. And then says, this is the whole point of the Green New Deal. We need a just transition for workers and those who have been marginalized by the excesses of the capitalist system that got us into this mess. We can build a better world for everyone under the ashes of the old one. What's so interesting here is that it is a communist nation, China, that has been leading the world in polluting, not the United States. And yet, and now this guy also says that, that the pandemic is not a climate plan. It's eco-fascism. But action on the scale is what's needed to transform the world. Uh, buddy, I, 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 got a, I got a problem for you. It ain't, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Um, y'all, um, seriously, um, seriously. This is it, it, never let a crisis go to waste. I, I mean, it, it's just I, I'm I'm getting a headache here thinking about the nonsense of this. That w- we need to shut down the entire world and transform society. And meanwhile, are you not paying attention to what's going on? People are ready to get out of their homes and go back to work. People want to get back on airlines. I I, I got a sneaking suspicion that a year from now. There's going to be so much economic output, the left is going to be praying for a second wave of the coronavirus. I, I really think that people are going to, I mean, see, uh, so, uh, you know, Chris Burns a Dynamic Money, sponsor of this program, a guest host for me, a friend. We've been, we've been charting a, a guy's trip to Vegas at some point when we can get out of our houses or at least to Colorado or just somewhere out West. Vegas would be fun. Denver has, has the, the craft beer scene in Denver is fantastic. Go down to Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs. Go out West somewhere. Just just take a guy's trip out West somewhere. I, I got a sneaking suspicion that you're not, you're not going to be able to get a reservation in Las Vegas for six months because everybody's going to go. You're not going to be able to get into to, to some of the, the places you want to go. When Disney World reopens, I suspect the lines to get in will be obscene. I want to go to Star Wars World. I'm probably going to wait two years to go because everybody's going to want to go. And the climate emissions are going to be through the roof. And 
you got the environmentalists out there saying, no, no, this needs to be our reality. Everyone out of work? How do you transition all these people? They don't really have a way other than massive government spending. But there's a difference between the massive government spending. And again, this this goes back to my earlier point about, uh, you, you know, if you go into a crisis and you come out of the crisis and everything you thought when you went into the crisis is the same after you got out of the crisis, you're probably not actually a thoughtful person. And and the left going into this, look, 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 massive government spending, it works. No, actually, it doesn't really work. All it's doing is keeping us afloat. It's not driving up economic output. It's just keeping people from falling into poverty. And yet that's what they want. And they're seeing this massive government spinning right now. Say, oh, we can do more of this. No, you can't do more of this. Have you seen the national debt? My goodness gracious. No, it's 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 not working. It's not working. You know what else um, is not working is uh, there is a study out from the VA on hydroxychloroquine and whether or not it's actually working. I do have to say that even the, the, the people in the VA are saying, don't put too much stock into this. It's a small sample. It is is not the most scientifically rigorous study. And there are a lot of people out there using this to say, ah, see, the president was wrong. He got people killed. Well, you know, the right approach is probably from Jake Tapper, who reported on this. What do you have to lose, President Trump asked? Well, today, a new Veterans Health Administration study found no medical benefit to hydroxychloroquine when it comes to coronavirus patients and that it could actually be harming patients who take it. Joining me now is CNN Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, you know, this is crappy news. We all want something to work. Take us through this study. Right. Yeah, no, no doubt. We, we're all looking for some sort of therapy, and hydroxychloroquine is the one that's been getting a lot of attention. Uh, this, is a, this is a study of some 368 patients. Still a small study, Jake. We're going to get larger data studies, so we have to take all of these studies with a little bit of a grain of salt. This one was not peer-reviewed. It was not randomized, meaning patients weren't put in one group versus the other but in some random fashion. But nevertheless, exactly what you said, Jake, the patients who in this study got hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, that's the ZPAC, the antibiotic, uh, this study, they did worse. They had a close to a 22% death rate as compared to the patients who didn't get those medications who had about an 11.4% death rate. So um, it, it, it doesn't look very promising. You know, uh, there was, this is a, a, another study among a drumbeat of studies now. Again, all of them pretty small. We, we're still waiting for the larger studies. But if you look at France, you look at Brazil, you look at Sweden, you're hearing similar things. In France, they said they found a dose that was too toxic. It was actually causing heart arrhythmias. In Sweden, they gave guidance to all the nation's hospitals to stop administering this medication outside of a clinical trial. So, um, you know, I think you framed it perfectly. We all want something that works. Uh, there was, there's obviously been a lot of enthusiasm around this particular one, but so far, the results have not been uh, that impressive at all, Jake. Now, there is a drug out there that is showing results, uh, Remdesivir. It's by Gilead Sciences. This is one that some of the conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists on the right have claimed uh, was proof that uh, COVID-19 was a patented virus released into the wild uh, for this pharmaceutical company to benefit from. Now, I have debunked that conspiracy thoroughly, and I still encounter people. So let me just real quickly uh, explain to you the deal. Remdesivir is a drug developed by the uh, pharmaceutical company Gilead Science to fight SARS and to fight MERS. Uh, and 
It is a drug that the Chinese, as COVID-19 was spreading, stole the chemical formula for and tried to file a patent on the same chemical formula, but listed it as a drug to fight COVID-19. Gilead Science had to amend its patent application for Remdesivir to add COVID-19. And the way the patent office works is when you amend a filing, it doesn't change the date of the filing. So they originally filed for the drug in 2015 to fight SARS and MERS. They amended it to fight COVID-19. If you pull it up on the um, on the patent office website, it lists COVID-19 as one of the things fighting, and the patent date is 2015. But it, it is objectively true that it's was amended in 2020. They just ignored it, and there's this conspiracy theory brewing. But the drug is showing hope. And let's be honest, there have been clinical studies that have shown that hydroxychloroquine has, has shown upside, but there have now been as many studies showing it doesn't as have. There are people out there who believe their lives have been saved by hydroxychloroquine. I heard from one yesterday, as a matter of fact, who said, uh, it's actually an email from a listener who had uh, COVID-19 after eight days was given hydroxychloroquine and said uh, before the day was out, the symptoms stopped had had the symptoms for eight days, including a debilitating cough. And before the sun was out on the day uh, he started taking hydroxychloroquine, the symptoms had all stopped. He believes in it. Uh, was given zinc and hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin. And the symptoms stopped. And he credits uh, the drug combo. The VA is saying, along with others, that uh, you shouldn't put too much stock in the study. It needs to be peer-reviewed, the others as well. But people are trying to find hope. Uh, it does look like Remdesivir is showing a lot of signs. But still, uh, there are conspiracy theories out there as well. There's another conspiracy theory out there. I, I want to play for you this audio because this is being circulated. I saw, for example, there. so I, I pay attention to one of the QAnon Instagram accounts. And they're already circulating this as proof that uh, COVID-19 is a hoax and there's a there's a vaccine. This is John Roberts from Fox News joking with a New York Times reporter. It was caught on the open hot mic in the White House yesterday. Take out the mask, Doug. The uh, case fatality rate's like 0.1 to 0.3, according to the Is it really? That's, that's, that's reassuring. USC. Everybody here has been vaccinated anyway. USC and LA County Public Health come out with a study. They found that... There are 7,000 cases in California, but they really believe that there are anywhere from 221,000 to 442,000 people who were infected. Really? Yeah. So that makes it 0.1 to 0.3? Yeah. Is a study to come out with? Yeah, just give it to that. So it suggests that the case of Taliban is about 10. But it seems to be. Put your right line with the food. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. So that's John Roberts, and he, John Roberts is the one who said the hoax. That was the New York Times reporter who, who John Roberts said, you don't have to cover your mouth, and the New York Times reporter says, oh, well, we're all vaccinated anyway. Uh, Roberts is talking about that California study. Uh, I would not realize, as, as I pointed out on the program, be careful with the California study uh, because even the people who did the study are saying uh, it needs to be conducted in other methodologies because what happened is they advertised on Facebook at a time that no one could get a COVID-19 test. And so they went on Facebook and said, if you want a COVID-19 test, come get it. And overwhelmingly, the people who came were women in technology, 
which suggests it wasn't a random sample. And overwhelmingly, they tested positive. But there are a couple of problems with the, the antibody test we now know from the manufacturer is that a common cold could also trigger it as positive for COVID-19. And also, it had such a high false positive rate that it statistically was meaningless. So John Roberts is talking about that and taking it seriously. And, and that that's the caution here. And it's the caution with everything else is that there is a rush of information. We almost have too much information and too much transparency so that the conspiracy theorists can twist it and the other people don't know what to believe. I mean, half my day now is spent trying to figure out what's true and what's not, including having to call the Department of Public Health and get answers. So you got to be careful with this stuff. But it's notable to me that the the QAnon people are circulating this as, as proof that it is a hoax as opposed to these are two people shooting the poop in the White House press briefing room before hot mic. I bet they're not going to do that anymore now that it's been picked up by the conspiracy theorists. Um, if, if you think this is just a hoax, go to your local hospital and check in with them and see what's going on. And, and you will see very quickly it's not a hoax. At the same time, we do need a path forward to reopen the country. The phone number here, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got a lot of audio. I got a lot of audio about the Georgia situation. And at the top of the hour, I want to play it. Right now, though, uh, let's go to Dr. Burks, because if you heard me in the first hour, I was talking to Hogan Gidley of the White House, and we're talking about how the media selectively uses per capita. When they want to show that things are terrible in the United States, they ignore per capita, just say, oh, my goodness, we have more cases than anyone else. Actually, uh, per capita, the United States has less cases than, than, than the top 20 countries. But they only use per capita if they can make the president look bad. And if they can't with that, they switch to the raw number. Listen to Dr. Burks. We really need to continue to unite and really, really, really support our health care providers who are still on the front lines. They have been on the front lines now for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so no matter what city they have been in, they have not seen the relief that we've been able to talk about at the at light at the end of the tunnel because of the delay in hospitalizations and deaths. So to our health care providers, to our respiratory therapists, and to everyone in the labs, thank you for the work that you're doing to protect Americans and give us one of the lowest mortality rates in the entire world. Thank you. Wait, what's that lowest mortality rates in the entire world? Well, that's actually true. You know, the, the global global average is over 5%. The American average is like 3.8%. We're doing way better. And remember how the media, when the virus started spreading this country first, we're going to have a higher mortality rate than most because Americans are so fat. I mean, that that was actually, that, that was a random talking point in the media. And, and actually, our mortality rate is lower than most of the world. And yet the media would say, oh, it's, we're going to be worse than the Europeans because we suck compared to them. And actually... Per capita. And overall, we're doing way better than the Europeans. It's just, it's funny how they always want to say the Europeans are better than us. The media does. And then when it turns out they're not, they just don't even bring it up anymore. One clip from the White House yesterday worth playing. Yeah, please. About China, have, have U.S. intelligence analysts told you that they think that the virus escaped from a Chinese research lab, that it was an infection? Well, I can't tell you that. Have U.S. intelligence agents told me? I mean, what kind of a question is that? Do you feel I can't. I can't. Do you want me to tell you? Oh, let me tell you what they told me. Look, they told me plenty. They told me plenty. <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it's, wow. Wow. 
Mr. President, will you tell me what the intelligence agents are? And you know, this is the this is the great conspiracy pushback. The great conspiracy pushback on um, on the virus, and, and you know why? Because it's actually beginning to get traction, and the press is in in CYA mode. They got to cover themselves because they told everyone it was a racist hoax to suggest it otherwise. But now there's actually a lot of data that it did come from the lab. Uh, that's, that's, that's y'all come on now. Um, this is deeply problematic and it is, it's, it's silly that we're having to even argue about this. Why is the media in this country so protective of China? Now, you know, I, I get a lot of hate mail when I bring this up. And the hate mail comes from reporters. Some of whom I actually really do respect. And they're upset with me because they say it's a conspiracy theory and I have no proof. No, and I want to be careful here. I, I don't have any proof. But, you know, we know from the fall of the Soviet Union and the release of records that the Soviets actually had pretty open and collaborative relationships with a number of reporters, including Walter Durante, who was in the, um, who was in the New York times. He was the, the Moscow bureau chief. And he essentially was a propagandist for Stalin. The New York times in the nineties finally said that Durante's reporting was the worst that they had ever allowed on their pages in hindsight. I suspect strongly that there are in this country reporters who are either on China's payroll or so sympathetic to China that they can have a collaborative relationship without getting paid. And I believe that. I I genuinely believe it. And I have reporters who ask me, please don't say this. It just undermines credibility. I'm sorry. There are the reporters who are undermining their own credibility. This whole idea that, remember, in January and February, the racism and xenophobia against uh, Asians was more dangerous than the virus. They don't want to talk about that. This gets back to my point that the media so wants the president ruined as a way to absolve themselves of their own sins. He's the media Jesus. He's got to be crucified to absolve the media of their sins. Now, people are like, oh, that's what, yeah, you're, you're darn right. I intended to be bombastic to catch your attention. It is my hot take of the day. It offends everybody. But just think about the way the media is reacting here. The media got all sorts of stuff terribly wrong, including attacks on the president, including pushback on Tom Cotton over the Wuhan virus. All of these things the media got wrong. And what is the media position? That they do not need to be held accountable and they need be they need not be self-reflective. And instead, the president must pay for all the things he got wrong. We're not the president. The president has inside information. I'm sorry, but the president was giving you inside information, including why he needed to close China down, and you're still trotting out the president saying nice things about the World Health Organization as proof that we shouldn't be shutting down the World Health Organization right now. Maybe we should. You know, there were things the president did and said that he shouldn't have that were wrong. But those did not influence the media because the media doesn't like the president. The media doesn't believe the president. It was the media pushing the, 
Xenophobia and racism against Asians is far a bigger threat in this country than coronavirus. Coronavirus is not spreading in the country. The World Health Organization says it can't spread people to people. Remember, it was the media that pushed the story. The World Health Organization said the president's efforts to stop travel with China would harm the effort to curtail the virus. That was the media. And they would far prefer to blow up the president of the United States than ever admit they got stuff wrong. Why must everyone ever existing admit they got things wrong, but the media never has to do it? When we come back, let's get into Georgia, and and we'll put some benchmarks down on the media coverage of what Brian Kemp is doing. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes, they're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's, it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener. And I'm not. I'm just using my Quip twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had. And I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get G-E-T. QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I am going to pay play you a ton of audio right now. I mean, I'm going to play for you a boatload of audio all about Georgia. We need to set the stage. I'm just going to play them. I'll tell you who it is. You're just going to listen. And then we're going to talk about all of it. I've also got Brian Kemp was on with Martha McCallum on Fox last night. And he actually did a really good job explaining his position. And we'll get there. But first, I want to set the stage with all the rest of it. Here first, the former head of the Republican Party in Georgia, member of the state legislature, now the mayor of Sandy Springs, Rusty Paul. We've got to be very cautious about how we do this. I mean, we're still waiting on a little bit of guidance from the state to know how we're going to enforce all the, 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 the different things that are going to be required. But we're going to implement it as safely uh, and as conscientiously as we possibly can in Sandy Springs, uh, and health and safety of our citizens is going to be paramount. Uh, a lot of businesses have been open through this. 
We've done the social distancing thing. I've had to stand in line outside grocery stores wearing my mask, wearing my gloves as we waited to get in and they allowed only so many people in a grocery store. So if we do it right and, and we maintain the social distancing, uh, you know, we, we can have an impact. Now, you know, is should everything be open? I don't know, but I can tell you this, the market's going to determine whether this works or not, because if customers don't show up, you can open your business all day long and nobody's going to be right. there. Uh, and so it's 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 going to we're going to find out what the level of trust that the public have uh, in uh, in this process. But I can tell you, I've seen it in our community. And as long as people follow the rules and as long as the retailers sanitize the counters and, and everything, we've been able to manage it and control it so far. That's Rusty Paul. Now let's go to uh, the mayor of Albany, Georgia. Well, let me first say that I understand the governor had a difficult decision to make. I do, however, think he made the wrong decision. And on three levels, as a citizen, we need to understand that reopening the economy should be guided by benchmarks and not dates. That reopening the economy should be a gradual and controlled process and that's not what we're seeing here um for instance barbershops beauty shops nail salons there is no way to maintain social distancing in these places and in georgia we have a serious problem in our nursing homes notices pub it appears that a third of our deaths are in nursing homes i have a problem as a Georgian because I believe that the deceleration of infection is attributable to the shelter-in-place ordinance order that the governor entered earlier this month. And thirdly, as an elected official, I'm very concerned that the governor has prohibited us from implementing measures which might be appropriate to, to our locale. Uh, that was that was the 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 mayor of Albany on CNN. Now here is the governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. I think it's important to put in context Georgia's place in the national economy. We're the eighth largest state in the nation, but we have the 14th highest infection rate and the seventh slowest testing rate. What that means is that these jobs that are reopening, these businesses that are reopening, are going to force frontline workers back to the work without having been tested, without having access to a healthcare system to help them if they are in need. Georgia refused to expand Medicaid. We have one of the highest rate of closures of hospitals. And we do not have people who've been able to get access to the unemployment benefits that could allow them to take care of themselves while they're at home. The worry is that by trying to push a false opening of the economy, we risk putting more lives in danger. And there's nothing about this that makes sense. The mayors of Atlanta, Albany, and Savannah have all questioned the wisdom of doing this. And the fact is the governor didn't consult with mayors before making this decision. A, a false opening, a, a false opening. So wait, 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 when did the mayors become experts? Because at the beginning of the month, Stacey Abrams said he needed to check with the experts and he did. And and now the experts say that it's okay to reopen. Here's Sanjay Gupta who lives in Atlanta. No, Chris, and I don't want to equivocate or waffle on this. I mean, we close late. We, we might be opening early and, and they're both problems. I mean, we, we, we are 
clear that the virus is still out there. We are clear that we are not ready. It is clear what the guidelines are and that we haven't met them. And it's also clear that a lot of people, Chris, are frightened about this. They're frightened to go out. So you open up businesses, but people are not likely to go. Is that doorknob safe? Did that person get tested? Has this place been sterilized? What about the ventilation? I mean, all these questions uh, still coming up among people because people are, you know, they're understandably worried. People are worried that, look, even if I stay healthy, what if I take it and get somebody else sick? I would feel awful about that. I'd feel terrible if that happened. That's the sort of decisions that are being forced right now in the state. And, you know, I, I just find it hard to be charitable about this. I understand the governor has pressure on him from small businesses, although who's going to be going to these small businesses? This is a proposition where you're starting to run into almost all risk and almost no reward. It's a bad idea. Every public health official in the country has said so. Ambassador Burks, who's very polite, you and I both talked to her, she said this. She says, we've put out guidelines. We've tried to use the clearest data possible. There are still outbreaks happening. I don't see how you could cut somebody's hair or be in a nail salon and still physically distance. Maybe they have some creative ideas I'm not familiar with, is essentially what she said. She's being nice. What she should have said is, you shouldn't do this. You can't do this. These are guidelines. I get it. You can't mandate these things. But, you know, people could get infected that otherwise wouldn't. People may be hospitalized that otherwise wouldn't. And sadly, Chris, people may die that otherwise wouldn't. And I'm not an alarmist, as you know, but, but that's the reality. Mother Nature is, 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 is showing us something right now. We have to behave as if we have the virus so we don't get sick and we don't get other people sick. And a little more Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, before you go, I want to ask you, uh, your governor, uh, Governor Kemp of Georgia, uh, is starting to lift uh, restrictions uh, and and in Georgia, even though Georgia has not met the guidelines that President Trump and the White House have put out of 14 days a decline uh, of new coronavirus uh, cases, you think this is a public health mistake, yes? This is a public health mistake. I, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, look, I think it's, it's, uh, it's reasonable to say uh, this is a, a tough call for the governor because I'm sure he has a lot of pressure on him, but this is not a tough call from a public health standpoint at all. And you know, the more I think about it, Jake, the more I realize this is uh, almost all risk and no reward. Because even for the, even if you do open things up, you know, you, you talk to people around here, Jake. I live here. You talk to people, not just within the healthcare community, but people are going to be very understandably nervous about going to these places. Has that doorknob been sterilized? Is the person who's about to give me a haircut, uh, have they been tested? Has this building been uh, disinfected in some way? What about the ventilation? Uh, if I sit at a restaurant, I'm there for over an hour. That's prolonged contact with people. It, it, you know, I'm not trying to alarm people, but how do you justify potentially putting people at risk without uh, truly re getting the rewards from, from reopening businesses? I, I don't think you do. Bear with me, folks. The, this is how the media is covering the situation. Here, this one, this one's somewhat painful to listen to. This is Elise Jordan, a liberal pundit on MSNBC. Well, I understand the desperation. That I'm sorry. I know. Ah, ah, I got head. I can't listen to that. Nope. Sorry. Too shrill. We go to Eugene Robinson instead. The governors are in a different position because they have to, the, the, all the governors, really, Republicans and Democrats, they have to to maintain some sort of working relationship with the federal government and with President Trump. Uh, Governor Cuomo is, is apparently coming to visit him today at the, at the White House, for right. example, um, uh, because they are trying to protect the citizens of their states, and, and, and they have to do that. So I understand why they are trying to walk this, this, 
this tightrope, except the governor of Georgia, who's just lost his mind. Who's just lost his mind. Okay, I'm going to try this at least, Jordan, one. Just just, just grin, grit your teeth and bear with me. Well, I understand the desperation that there is right now and the need to get back sure. to work, the need to get back to normalcy. But the problem is we aren't going back to normal. We aren't going back to normal anytime <clears throat> soon. And people understand that. And there's, a, there's so much fear right now over... The unknown, and as these diagnoses continue to grow, especially the decision to open Georgia is particularly baffling, given what's happening in the southern part of the state. And we have Stacey Abrams later in the show, and she certainly can talk about how well Governor Kemp administered the 2018 midterms and with what efficiency he operated as Secretary of State. And so, it's just scary that. There's this attitude that you can completely disregard the facts as to what is the actual science right now. Uh, these are the people who said the governor of Georgia needed to listen to experts. He doesn't have new experts. He didn't go out and get new people to tell him what he wanted to hear. It's the same people who told him to close down the state are now telling him he can reopen the state with certain guidelines. And if you don't want to go out, you don't have to go out. If your business doesn't want to reopen, it doesn't have to reopen. And in fact, uh, it will not affect unemployment benefits. It, it won't affect unemployment benefits. That's, by the way, that that's one of the conspiracies here. There, there is uh, George Chitty, who is a Democratic... Um, uh, he, he's a political columnist, a public policy advocate. He's a Democrat. Uh, li listen to this. Uh, do you really want to know what I think about the governor's decision to reopen? It's about making sure people can't file unemployment. It isn't about saving lives, certainly. It's not about the peak of the curve. I think lots of people are going to ignore the governor and stay home regardless. This isn't a decision being driven by epidemiology. It's the rawest and most lethal of political decisions. It will kill people. Kemp is looking forward to the fiscal discussion in 2021 and 2022 when all of this really starts to hit. He got elected by out yahooing the field. He's been trained to view government spending as a crime. Blah, 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 blah. It's no coincidence that the businesses on the list are staffed by relatively poor people because that's who he wants off the unemployment roll. And if they die, well, they're mostly black people or Asians and poor and an acceptable political loss for a Republican governor. The purpose of this isn't to open up these businesses. It's to get these workers off the dole. Work and die or don't work and you're on your own. That, that's how a Democrat views this. Presuming in the worst possible light the governor's motives. Or how about we look at this in another way? There are a group of small businessmen out there who are sole proprietors. They're tattoo artists. They're barbers. People like that. And they haven't been able to work. And they haven't been able to get their PPP loans because Ruth's Chris and other major companies got them. And they're living on their savings. They're living on the, the generosity of others. And they have people who want haircuts. And they want to go back to work. And the governor is allowing them to take the risk. The governor is allowing them 
to make the decision. Knowing the risks, knowing the virus, knowing the news, the governor's allowing them to do it. And by the way, the governor's making sure that if you don't want to go back to work, you're not suddenly going to be deprived of unemployment. You're still going to get it. Contrary to what this Democrat believes, the governor's making clear today that your unemployment is not going to be affected. How about we not presume the worst? They wanted the governor to close the state, and he closed the state. Now they don't want him to reopen it. You know who else is getting attacked? Dr. Burks. She's not getting attacked for the right. For a month, Dr. Burks was getting attacked by conservatives, saying that she was in a deep state conspiracy to ruin the presidency. Now she's getting attacked by the left because she says there are things in place where states can slowly begin to reopen. And the left has decided that, that no, 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 you can't do this. Why? They, they've been championing this woman for a month and everything she said. They've been defending her, heralding her as a truth teller and an expert. And now she's telling them something that they don't believe and suddenly she's wrong. You've been saying, listen to the experts. All these people are listening to the experts. Are the experts suddenly wrong or just you don't believe the experts now? Now you're as bad as the people you were bemoaning as people who didn't believe experts. So so you're a know-nothing now, huh? Hello there. Now, I want to, I want to, I played you all of the audio to set the stage for how the media is covering what happened in Georgia. The mayor of Atlanta is critical of it. The mayor of Albany, the mayor of Savannah, they're all deeply critical. They're all also Democrats. They really don't like it. And a lot of people particularly in the media, they're badly misreporting what the governor did. You know, he's not forcing open businesses. Your business doesn't have to open. You, you, I, and I know that that's hard for people to believe, but you actually really genuinely don't have to reopen. He's not making you reopen. And if you do a reopen, you have some pretty big burdens on you to reopen. Like, for example, the the nail salon. If the nail salon wants to work, everybody's got to be spread out. You're going to have to limit the people who come in. They're going to have to wear a mask, and you're going to have to wear a mask. And you're going to have to wipe down the place and keep it sterilized. And if you can't do that, they're going to put you back out of business. This isn't carte blanche to reopen. It is reopen, but in a new way. The governor's trying to find a path. Listen, the virus isn't going away. It's pretty obvious at that point. They're already talking about a rebound later this year that they say could be worse than now. The virus isn't going away. And if the virus isn't going away, we need to find new ways to figure out how to make our livelihood and, and, and chart forward with this. And we should be wishing the governor of Georgia success in charting that path. Notice nobody in the media is outraged by Colorado doing the same thing. Nobody, the, the, the Colorado is reopening too. The media is not upset about that. They're not trotting out Stacey Abrams to condemn him. Just, just Brian Kemp, just the Republican in the state the Democrats would like to take. That, that's, that's the bad guy. 
To the phones we go. I'll play. We don't have enough time to play all of Kim's audio. I want to play that for Martha McCallum when we come back right now. I want to go to Adam. Adam, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Good. Uh, when it comes to opening up the economy, I say we take a page out of the feminist playbook. Our body, our choice. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, how dare you do that? Oh, I'm doing it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know there there there's there's no child involved there that's going to get sick. The virus tends to spare them. So I, I mean, listen, hey, I I it's funny you should say that because I'm seeing a lot of people on social media saying, you know, if you don't want to go to a store, you don't have to go to a store. If you don't want to open your business, you don't have to open your business. The governor's not making you do it. And there are people who make the argument that well, we should have done this all along, except for the fact that the virus was spreading and we couldn't do it. Everyone had to shelter in place to keep the virus from spreading. Well, guess what? As the data changes, the situation changes. The data has changed. The data has changed and the data now is that the virus is not spreading. When the virus was spreading, the governor made everybody shelter in place, but now the virus isn't spreading. The situation has changed. So why, see, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the situation. Here's the real situation. A lot of these people don't want us to be first. And a lot of these people, they it is a partisan play. I mean, look at, look at that op-ed. They're saying the governor wants the poor people to go back to work and die. Less, less voters to vote against him in 2022. That seems to be a, a prevalent sentiment on the left. That the governor doesn't care about these people. He wants them to die. They didn't vote for him anyway. The problem is that when that gets into widespread circulation, you're going to have a lot of people say, oh, that all of this really is partisan, so there's no reason to pay attention to it. And so even fewer people are going to, to take it seriously. And that is going to cause problems. Listen, your business doesn't have to reopen. Nobody's making you reopen the business. And if your business does reopen, you got to meet guidelines. And if you can't meet those guidelines, you can't reopen. And then even when the guidelines go into effect and all the businesses can reopen, you don't actually have to open. And you don't actually have to go. You don't have to get your hair cut. You don't have to get your nails done. You don't have to go to the restaurant. It's your choice at this point. Your body, your choice. Good enough for killing kids. Might as well be good enough for going to a restaurant. All righty. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It is Earth Day. It is, it, you know, two of the big left-wing holidays out there, Earth Day and Kwanzaa, uh, both holidays created by felons. You know, the Earth Day's co-founder murdered his girlfriend and stuck her in a trunk uh, where she decomposed. I, I'm not making that up. You think I'm making that up. I'm not making that up. It's, it's true. It's true. You can look it up. And then, of course, Kwanzaa was created by a felon uh, who was in jail for torturing a woman. Uh <laughs> 
you notice people don't actually even celebrate it anymore. It was a, it was a thing back when Bush was president, and then suddenly it just faded away. Uh, it's just a made-up holiday. Um, okay, we need to go back to the phones, and I want to go to Robin. Welcome, Robin. How are you? Yes, I'm doing good. And you? Doing well. What's well, going on? Okay, I have really two questions I want to ask you. Uh, of course, the Republicans believe so much in the Constitution. Those who, uh, you have the right to protest and the right to parade, um, but now you have to have a permit to do so. And these protesters out there, they are violating the law as for not having a permit. Also, this social distancing, they are not uh, doing that. And the other question I want to ask you as far as with the substitute teachers, because the Board of Education had closed down and all the other employees are getting paid, but the substitute teachers get paid nothing. They had a law in the state of Georgia that if you are uh, not working with the school system, you are not to be paid substitute teacher wage. So, uh, and also, I want to ask another question as far as with the environment. I know that they Try, trying to say the cockroaches uh, is, uh, I know they were, folks like Russian Limbaugh considered as the environmental uh, right there, what we try to do. But the, what we're trying to do as far as the uh, uh, save water and save the environment, they call it, like said, now we don't have that pollution and all the cars and things in cities like Los Angeles. And, mm-hmm. um, all right, so that, well, I, I, this is sometimes the question that I would like to ask. And even like Rush Number, he didn't know fool all the people like uh, he can't hear. He can hear better than I can. And plus, <laughs> so okay, l- let me l- let me see if if I understand. And l- let me work let me work my way through these, Robin. If if I understood you, um, uh, let's do the substitute teacher. When you you gotta be in school for a substitute teacher to be able to substitute. And if the substitute teacher is not substituting in a school, the substitute teacher is not going to get paid. So there is no school right now. So, of course, a substitute teacher isn't going to get paid. So that that makes sense. Um, the, The other one is on the protest. You've got a right to protest. And you're right. The protesters should be complying with the social distancing. That is true, and I think it's fair, and there have been states where that's happened. Uh, in some states, like Michigan, they stayed in their cars. In, where was it? I think in Virginia, they stayed six feet apart. But if the state is closed and they can't get the proper organizing permit, then they have a right to protest. It is a constitutional right. And if the state makes it, un- it makes it unable for makes them unable to get a permit, their right to protest trumps the permitting requirements. That's pretty well settled. I'm not sure if I quite understood your point on the environment in Rush Limbaugh. Uh, but if you heard me earlier, I said, you know, we do have an obligation to be good stewards in society. And it is notable that we have stayed inside. And for example, the canals in Venice, you can now see the bottom. The water's not being stirred up so you can see the fish. Uh, You've got animals now coming back into cities uh, because nobody's out in the city. So the animals are coming back in. Very interesting how nature is reasserting itself. But, you know, we're supposed to be dominant and we're supposed to be good stewards. And we're supposed to use all God's creation um, for our benefit. So we got to be good stewards, but let's 
be clear here, we're in charge and we should not um, subvert the paradigm so that we're putting the animals in charge of us or anything like that. Uh, Also, step on cockroaches. They're gross. Now, we need to get to the governor of the state of Georgia because I played for you at the beginning of this hour all of the audio of all of the people in the media who didn't like the governor to begin with, who are now attacking the governor for doing what they told him to do, which is listen to the experts. You know, that is the funny thing here. Uh, They've all said, listen to the experts, listen to the experts, listen to the experts, listen to Dr. Toomey, listen to Dr. Toomey. He listened to Dr. Toomey. And now they're like, I can't believe you listened to her. I mean, you've got people are attacking Dr. Burks today on the left because she dared to say it was reasonable to begin reopening. Now let's go to what the governor said in his conversation with Marvin McCallum. Three clips to play for you to give the governor's response. All right. So, you know, we just watched Dr. Deborah Burks, and she was questioned about your plan to reopen on Friday. And she said, you know, that she feels it's incumbent, and I'm paraphrasing, incumbent upon governors such as yourself to be very transparent about the data that you used to make this decision. So can you explain to everyone at home tonight, what is the data that brought you to this conclusion, especially given the fact that that deaths are are still rising in in Georgia? What data did you use? Well, I think it's important for people to understand how the data comes in. A lot of the data that we're posting today, the testing or the fatality may have happened, you know, five or six days ago based on the type of reporting that's being done. I mean, look, I spent all weekend working with Dr. Toomey, who's, who's a you know, great epidemiology, a great public health official, one of the best, I think, in the country. Uh, I did not make this decision without her support. Uh, we poured over this data. We're looking at all kind of different models. I've had hospital CEOs that I've been, been in contact with that reached their peak way back on April the 6th. You know, I've spoken to them about the idea of doing some elective surger- uh, surgeries. Uh, They were supporting that decision. They support a measured opening, which is what we're doing. It's going to be very limited in scope, basic operations. We're talking about a few businesses that I closed down to help uh, flatten the curve, which we have done in our state. But for us to continue to ask them to do that while they lose everything, quite honestly, uh, there are a lot of civil uh, repercussions of that, mental health issues. We're seeing more patients in our trauma centers in our state because people are just, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're tired of it. And it's a, you know, it's a tough balance. That was clip one. Here's clip two. Can you can you tell me what you mean by that? So, for instance, it does, is it in Atlanta, if someone wants to get their nails done or their hair done on Friday and or a tattoo or go to a gym, I mean, these are very close contact kinds of businesses that are the first ones on your list. Can you explain why you would start with those kinds of businesses on day one? Well, those are the ones who are closed. The other businesses in Georgia are still currently opening under the order that I have now, and we're coming down. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand but you also have to give that fitness owner or that owner in a hair salon the, uh, you know, the ability to be able to be a partner in this fight that we're in. You know, they're going to have to follow the strict guidelines. I, I would tell you that I imagine there'll be people in gyms that will be a lot safer than they would be going to the grocery store or some of the other places of business that are part of the critical mm-hmm. infrastructure that's been designated at the federal level. You know, this is going to take some common sense. Our people in our state have learned a lot through this. They have helped us be a solution 
to the problem to flatten the curve and to start getting on the other side of this. Our hospital capacity, you know, you have to remember the reason we did this to start with is so we had time to build up hospital capacity. One last one. You've said that businesses have to screen for illnesses. Um, how are they going to do that? So if just give the gym example. How, when, if well, someone wants to walk into a gym in Atlanta, and we just heard the mayor doesn't think that Atlanta's ready for this. Uh, if I want to go to the gym in Atlanta on Friday, how are they going to screen me? Well, it, it's not saying they've got to screen them. These are best practices. They could do temperature screening. You know, they can do the verbal uh, guidelines that all businesses should be giving their employees now, educating them. You do not come to work. You know, the potential for testing uh, now and in the future. So, you know, there's common sense things that people can do. And listen, we're already doing that with businesses in our state. You know, I got heavily criticized for keeping our state parks open and our beaches open. And we've had absolutely no problem with allowing people to go out and get some exercise. They have practiced social distancing. They have behaved themselves. Yeah. And in fact, we had people from other but, states coming to Georgia because they had closed their parks. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of widespread, you know, why we had to close all the parks, I think, is one of the big questions that a lot of Americans have. But I just want to stay with you on this point because, you, you know, screening. So let's say that the gym decides that they're going to test everybody's temperature when they walk in. But as we all know, uh, there are asymptomatic people who are contagious to every person that they come in contact with potentially. So once you've got a fever, it's already too late. You, you've already, you know, been five days of being someone who can spread that disease. So how are you going to well, the, screen these yeah, people who the want to go to these the same could be The same could be happening at the grocery store and other places. That's why the fitness owners, I have great confidence in them spreading people out when they're doing a workout doing this additional sanitation that we've all been, you know, uh, learned how to do now and taking those precautions with hand sanitation and having the, the folks working in the facilities wearing masks and, and other things. And we'll be putting those guidelines out. And listen, if people don't want to go, Martha, they don't have to. If people don't want to open the gym, right. they don't have to. But when you close somebody's business down and take the livelihood of that individual and those employees, and they are literally at the face of losing everything, yeah. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think right. they're going to do the right thing, you. and we're going to continue to focus on testing and contact tracing well, and all the other things. Listen, say what you will, but I think that makes sense. You know, so I, I go to a gym. I, I live in Macon, and I go to a gym, Tao Fitness, um, and T-A-O Fitness, it's over by the the new mall off of Riverside. Uh, great, great place. Cross. It was oriented towards CrossFit. It, it, it does a variety of things. Trains athletes. It has a lot of a lot of high school baseball uh, and football kids coming in doing specialized workouts for that. Uh, fantastic owner, uh, young guy named Stephen. He reached out to me after the governor did this on Monday. So, what what would make you feel comfortable come back? Now, first of all, I pay extra, so I go by myself, and there's nobody else in the gym uh, because I don't want anybody in there working out with me. Honestly. Uh, I like to, it, it is my way to get away from everybody and everything. But what I advised him and what he was already doing is he had, he, they're doing it as, as kind of classes. So you come in as a group and, and you do the same workout and everybody's spread out six feet away from each other. And after every class, everybody wipes down all their clip, equipment. He cleans the floor, gets up all the sweat droplets, everything. And then the next class can come in. 
and wiping down all the equipment in between. And I think that's that that's the way to do it. If you're a gym, letting the gym flood with people is not a wise thing to do. If you're if you're a gym owner, uh, we, we've got a local chain of gyms here in town and, and they get flooded with people. And everybody's kind of on their own to, to wipe things down. I, I, I wouldn't be going to a gym like that right now. I want to go get my hair cut and I trust my barber and he's been quarantined. And you may have to go in and the barber's wearing a, fa- a face mask. You're wearing a face mask while you're getting your hair cu- cut. That may have to happen. But we know the rate of transmission in Georgia is below one. And when the rate of transmission is below one, that means the virus isn't actually spreading in the community. And if it's not actually spreading in the community, why can't we rely, figure out a way forward? Because we're not getting rid of this. And that's kind of the the presupposition here that people don't want to confront is we're not actually going to get rid of this virus. It's going to be around. So we need to figure out ways to chart paths forward where we're dealing with the virus. And and Georgia wants to do that. And instead of condemning them, I think we should probably be supporting them and hoping for the best. Back to the phones. James and Macon, you're next. Welcome. Good good afternoon. How are you today? Good. How are you? Fine. I just I just got a comment on this uh coronavirus thing. I am what they considered an essential worker basically one of their little drones. They don't, all these liberals have absolutely no problem with me running around out here, fixing the mess at their house. As long as they stay comfortable, they ain't concerned about my health when it comes to that. But if I want to go out, buy a pizza, buy a beer, pair of shoes. If I want to go to Academy and buy a shopping cart full of bullets, it ain't none of their business. As long as I am sensible enough to use reasonable safety precautions. And I think they just need to dry up about it and let it go. (laughs) You know, listen, man, you and my wife channel the same energy, James. I just want you to know that shopping carts full of bullets is... (laughs) Yes, but you know, listen, uh, I understood. James, thanks very much for the phone call. I understood when the virus was spreading in open society... The rate of transmission was such that one person really was infecting three people in the state, exponential rise, wiping out hospital resources so the people who needed hospitals couldn't get in because they was covered in viral patients. And some of the hospitals in the state are still that way, but they're all on the decline. As Dr. Toomey has said, uh, ERs are seeing a dramatic drop off in the number of daily patients reporting flu-like symptoms. That's a really good sign. So if we are at the point where the virus is not spreading, we're not going to completely get rid of the virus. Can we find a way to start opening society back and accommodate it? Now, this requires responsibility from people. And I think one of the under-noticed things here is is, uh, one of the other underlying presuppositions on the left here is that we can't trust people. We can't trust people to do the right thing, which... It's kind of telling that they think we can't trust people to do the right thing. Let's be honest here. People are stupid. Some stupid people are going to go out there and they are going to do the wrong thing and, and they may get the virus. And they may spread the virus. But if we're going to do this all over again in the fall, we might as well now, while the virus is on the decline, figure out a way to chart a path forward where we can keep society open. You heard Chris Birds there, Dynamic Money, one of our sponsors, a friend. He actually is my financial advisor with Dynamic Money, mentioning the payroll protection program. Uh, First Liberty Georgia, as I mentioned earlier in the show, First Liberty 
is uh, doing applications for small businesses to get into it. They also are a sponsor of the program. And if you need to get into the program, you can go to firstlibertyga.com and they will help you get into the program. Uh, The program may run out of money again, so you need to rush on and do it. Firstlibertyga.com is the website. And they can help you anywhere in the country, not just Georgia. Uh, Good people, though. They're local here in Noonan. Another local business that I love, in fact, I am, so I, I have, if you're watching on Facebook Live, I've got this nice studio. It's actually really messy in the camera's position, so you can't see the mess. And the door is right behind the camera. It is a soundproof door through which I will walk. And my wife is cooking lunch. And I will be having barbecue chicken with Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. I can actually smell it right now the chicken the barbecue sauce is fantastic and uh they're sponsoring the program and i say this because as i've mentioned before uh i've been eating mrs griffin's barbecue sauce for a good while now well before their sponsorship uh roland neal the head of the company reached out and asked about a sponsorship uh because he knows they're getting fully stocked you can't find heinz ketchup anywhere but you can find mrs griffin's because they're driving around all over georgia stocking the shelves for the grocery stores uh, because the grocery stores are overwhelmed so you want to help a local product get a local product a tasty product no less get our family's favorite barbecue sauce Mrs. Griffin's now sponsoring the program. If you go to mrsgriffins.com as well, that's their website. You can buy two and you can get a third one for free. Uh, you'll go through it, particularly if you make a lot of wings, which I'm doing. I'm actually thinking, I, I, I don't. It's driving me a line if you got a Rectech grill. I'm thinking of getting one. I've got a big green egg, and I love my big green egg. But I've gotten good at the big green egg. I mean, I've gotten really good at the big green egg. And I do briskets, and and I haven't done ribs, but then I'm the only one in my family that eats ribs. And so I've done brisket. I do a lot of Boston butts. I do turkeys and chickens and smoke them. And now I just need more capacity, and I don't want to get one of those giant, unwieldy big green eggs, so I'm thinking of getting a rec deck. Uh, Traegers, uh, just the build quality on Traegers are terrible. And the rec deck is made in Augusta. It, it's a Georgia business. And a buddy of mine uses <laughs> uses Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. This isn't part of the ad, by the way, uh, but, he, but he does. And, and he, can, he can spread out. you got about three feet by two feet, and he can cover them in wings, and he smokes these wings, and he bases on the Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. And uh, it feeds his family and, and feeds friends and makes stuff. And I'm at the point where I'm thinking, you know, I get all these requests from people for my Boston butts, and I can only do one at a time on my large big green egg. So maybe I need to spread out. But I just, I, I, I'm really curious about these. And the wood pellet grills, let's be honest, they're kind of cheating. They, they really are. I mean, it's for lazy, lazy smokers. You, you, I mean, these grills can do it all for you. And, and with the big green egg, you got to master the slots and the airflow. And I love that challenge, but I've gotten really good at it. And so now I'm not looking for challenge. I'm looking for capacity to actually put in um, meats. So anyway, drop me a line, eric at theresurgent.com. I'm curious about these things. I may need to drive to Augusta and check them out when we get out of quarantine. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. See you then.